The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The cold hard truth about the Olympic journey is not really been financially incentivized in the same way that many other professional sports are. The business of basketball involves ZBA, Global, our licensing arm, Think 450. All of those things will make up what that looks like. Money in sports is one of the reasons why I enjoy being on Monday Night Countdown. We talk about some of the more interesting aspects of business of sports. When you're talking sports, discipline is the bridge from being good to other being great at whatever it is that you're trying to be or accomplish at your profession. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with our special guest host this week, Damian Sassauer from Bloomberg Intelligence. Thanks for joining us, Damian. Thanks for having me, Michael. Oh, and oh, oh, and a bonus, a bonus host. We're joined today by <laughs> Bloomberg's Matt Miller, and we're going to talk about cars and racing because you know Matt, he is a resident auto expert. So we asked him to join us for this conversation. Matt, you are the man. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure, and I am so excited. For all the racing we're going to cover, everything from the iconic uh, Formula One race in Monaco to the Maybe even more iconic, Indy 500. And then, well, you won't see McLaren in this, because then if you are just you just want to trash out on racing, the Coca-Cola 600 is on after that. It, it, this is my kind of Well, weekend. for me, also for me, MotoGP this weekend at Mugello is, is really where it's at, because these guys pass. So uh, <laughs> MotoGP, if you haven't gotten into it, I highly recommend getting on board. Let's get to our conversation now. We're talking IndyCar Racing and McLaren with one of the best guests you can have on the topic. We're joined today by McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown. Zach, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. My pleasure. Good to be here. Love talking motor racing. So you had me at motor racing. <laughs> See, Zach, I was I'm I'm hog wild. Matt and I and Damian hog wild about racing, and we we're going to lose our minds. But then the suits came in and said, "No, you got to calm it down a bit." And remember, this is the business of sports. So, okay, I'll I'll talk about the business of sports. Oh, it's IndyCar weekend. The Indy 500 is this weekend. The one of the biggest automobile races in the world. Zach, can you can you take us about what that race means and what it feels like to be part of it? It is awesome. Uh, it, it is the biggest race in the world, at least statistically, from how many people are going to be sitting in the grandstands. Uh, it's what I grew up watching, which I think millions of people could say the same thing. Uh, always Memorial Day weekend. It's just special and it's a bucket list event and even for people that don't necessarily follow IndyCar racing I've never met someone where I've said the Indy 500 and they've said what is that 
Yeah, no, it's a total bucket list event. Um, and it's huge for Americans. And I guess if you're a racing fanatic, um, internationally big as well. Uh, the, 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 the Formula One story was big internationally and not that big for Americans until this Netflix series came out a few years ago. And, and that's just blown it back up into the stratosphere again. Does, does, uh, IndyCar racing also get a boost as people are uh, paying so much more attention to F1? Yeah, I think so. I think open wheel racing gets a, a boost because you'll end up having, you know, Netflix has turned on so many people to Formula One that have never watched it before. And now they watch it and they fall in love with it. And I think when they're flipping through the channels and now they like Formula One racing and what it stands for, IndyCar racing is awesome. So I think they're going to flip through the channels and go, oh, here's something that kind of looks like Formula One. Maybe I should watch it. And it puts on such a good show. So I think they will build each other's popularity, not detract from. You know, Zach, I got to say, you know, I mean, Matt just mentioned it. That Drive to Survive uh, Netflix reality series is just awesome. And it brought me uh, to the sport initially. And so, you know, I think if you look at 2021, we had a record 934,000 viewers per race. I think ESPN's F1 ratings this year are some up something of, on the order of, you know, 22% year over year. I mean, is that, do you attribute a lot of that to Liberty Media, to Netflix, to ESPN, or is it the sport itself? I mean, you know, two-hour venue, you know, um, shorter time commitment for viewers, no commercials. You know, what do you, what are your thoughts there? I mean, it's just had massive growth. I think it's all of the above. I think you got to start with Austin uh, built a fantastic uh, venue, and that race is as popular as ever. I think it had its most attended race last year, so it starts with Austin. Uh, I think our TV broadcasters have been great. I think Netflix turbocharged it. You got to give Liberty the credit for bringing Netflix in. So I think that was a big moment for Formula One globally where you brought in new owners that saw what potential Formula One had if you, if you kind of opened it up. And Netflix was the early start of that. So I think you got to give Liberty an immense amount of credit. You've got great racing, great teams. Now you got Miami. Now you've got Vegas coming. I think you just start piling it all together. I think we'll have a new TV deal. Well, I know we'll have a new TV deal next year. I don't know with who, but it will be uh, improved because you've got a lot of people bidding for it, including the current broadcaster. And I think now that they all see how popular Formula One is, they will double down and not just you know, financially, but on content. So I just think we're going from strength to strength in Formula One. Old Uncle Mike wants to bring back some of the history of McLaren. Uh, by the way, you can't miss it, especially in the 70s, that orange car. You cannot miss that at all. And yes, I'm giving away my age. I was 10 when I saw Johnny Rutherford win the 1974 Indy 500 in the McLaren. Uh, Peter Revson, he drove the McLaren back around 71 at Indy. Can you talk about the history McLaren has had at Indianapolis? I, I love McLaren's history, and it's uh, one of my favorite reasons why I took the job uh, is I'm a bit of a historian on, on all motorsports and, and a huge fan, and, and specifically a huge fan of, of McLaren and love our history in different forms of motorsports and, and, you know, specifically Indianapolis. We, uh, were the, uh, uh, 
chassis manufacturer. Then when Roger won his first race with Mark Donahue, and then of course mm-hmm. we went on to win it twice as McLaren with with Johnny Rutherford. We've got that car sitting at our factory in 1974, and I think it's it's awesome. That's when I think of McLaren. I think of Can Am, IndyCar, of course Formula One, Le Mans. And that's kind of China, what we're replicating now just in modern-day racing, right? We've got our Extreme E, our Formula One, our IndyCar, and our most recently announced Formula E team. By the way, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but you mentioned that you have Rutherford's car in the factory, and I was in um, Bill Bow over the weekend, and I saw Nick Mason's um, Ferrari 250 GTO, and it just... Makes me think about how much value these assets can have, um, and, and how much they can appreciate. Normal people think of a car as a depreciating asset, but I think investors are increasingly um, uh, perking up to the idea that this can be a very lucrative um, investment, uh, buying and collecting old cars. Did did it take you a while to key in on that? Because I know you probably just wanted them because you thought they were cool to begin with, and now you have a very large collection. Yeah, they um, did two cars, just sold two Indy cars. Uh, Mario Andretti's, I want to say it was a 65 or 66 car, just sold at auction for kind of a record number. Um, and Dan Gurney's last Indy car winner, I think that mm. was in Sonoma, uh, just sold. And you're exactly right. The, the, the great stuff, the stuff that's pedigreed, whether it's team, driver, manufacturer, are great investments. I got into it just because of my love of the cars and uh, as opposed to buying them for investment reasons. But what I have done, because they are great investments, has given me confidence to spend even more to fulfill my passion, but also knowing that it's money uh, well invested. You know, Zach, I'm going to be in London at the end of the month, so I look forward to a lift in your Lotus 79. But for me, let's get back on point. You know, we've got the Indy 500 this weekend, and if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. Scott Dixon had the fastest poll time in Indy 500 history, right? So, I mean, my question for you is, how are you guys positioned to compete? How's McLaren going to do? I'll know a lot more Sunday night. I can make some really <laughs> good predictions then. Uh, um I, I think, yeah, Dixon's uh, amazing, right? He's a legend of the sport. Uh, he's he's wanted, his team's wanted a, a ton. I, I like our chances, but there's about 15 drivers out there that scare me. So that's, I think that's the exciting thing about uh, IndyCar racing is I think Scott's going to be as tough as, as anyone. I think we've got two, hopefully three cars. Juan Pablo has to make his way up the field a bit, but I think he's got a good race car underneath him, and he's certainly a, a savvy, experienced driver, so I wouldn't rule uh, him out of anything. But I think he's got 15 drivers that can that can potentially win. So I think that's what's very exciting about IndyCar racing. I want to expand more on what Damian was saying about Scott Dixon. Let me give you the speed. He qualified for the pole at 234.046 miles per hour. I'm going to repeat that, 234.046 miles per hour. If you did not have a yellow in the Indy 500, you could conceivably have a race in two and a half hours. My question is, and I guess we hear it every year when the speeds continue to go up, are they going too fast? 
Well, they don't seem to think they're going too fast. Uh, obviously, <laughs> they, they turn it up for, for, uh, for, for qualifying. So I think um, we'll, we won't see those speeds in the race. But, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're flying. I wouldn't want to be in that race car. But that's why these guys get paid the, uh, the big bucks and uh, love what they do and are, are great at it. I, you know, I think the speed, as long as the safety continues to uh, improve, which it, it does year over year, uh, and and the racing is good. I think the racing being good is we need to make sure that they can still draft and pass and run side by side. But it seems like uh, seems like they can. Yeah, I mean this, the 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 absolute speed obviously doesn't matter in terms of how enjoyable it is to watch a race, right? I I'm looking at a, a picture. Um, Damien mentioned the Lotus 79 of, of Mario, I think, driving that car in, in like a classic uh, car race at Silverstone, and it is still exciting to watch. Um, in terms, We were talking about this before the show. In terms of um, electric racing, they're not going quite as fast, are they? And for me, it's not as exciting to watch because they're just not as loud, but I guess the kids are, are starting to really get into it. Yeah, you know, I think... Um the, the younger generation, they weren't necessarily around when V12s were running, and you and I, uh, you know, love that sound. And I think, of course, everybody does. I, I think the depth and of the teams and the drivers and formerly, I think that championship is as difficult to win as any championship uh, out there. The cars, you know, with battery technology, the power they can produce and the time they can last continues to evolved you know in the first couple seasons of formula e they had to do a, a car change in the middle now they don't now season nine is coming generation three and they're going to have a lot more power so i think what we're going to see in formula e is it's the test bed for battery technology and you're going to see these cars evolve and get quicker and quicker over time uh there are those people that uh, miss the sound i think you and i are, are one of them and then there's others that you know, they don't know any differently and the racing's excited and exciting and, and there's other elements of Formula E that get them excited. So I think uh, it's probably no different than any sport we all follow. You look back at things historically quite fondly and, and there's things I miss about baseball and uh, things I miss about golf. Uh, and I think that's the same in, in motor racing. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... 
It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know, Zach, I mean, you know, you can't talk about F1 or sports more generally speaking without, you know, viewing it within the broader context of what's going on in the world today. And, you know, the war in Ukraine is obviously a big deal. Um, And, you know, my question for you is, I mean, we've seen, you know, other organizations like Haas cut ties with its Russian fertilizer producer sponsor, Urokali, after the war in Ukraine broke. I think I think one of the I think maybe the, the founder's son was one of their drivers or something. But I'm just curious, how is your how has McLaren been impacted by what's going on specifically with regard to Russia? We haven't yet. And, and, I, and I say yet because this isn't over, unfortunately. So we didn't really have much or really any direct business uh, in that territory. Obviously, the Russian Grand Prix was canceled. Uh, that's a little uh, of, of revenue for us, but also not the expense to go race there. I think the concern of where it could hurt us is it's impacting a lot of our uh, corporate partners. And if it gets really bad economically, then then of course they have to start tightening their their spend. So I think uh, if we feel it, which I hope we don't, but it just depends how long this goes on for, we'll feel it via our partners who are impacted uh, by, by what's, you know, global crisis. Now, of course, the Indy 500 is this weekend, but this is a huge racing weekend. Before that, in F1, they're running the Grand Prix of Monaco. And F1 has is climbing here in the U.S. Now, I'm a motorhead. I'll always, I always love any kind of racing, especially F1, and even that ugly six-wheel car that Jackie Stewart drove. <laughs> I hated that thing. But, hey, it, it was still a race yeah, car. Yeah, I loved it. It was kind of cool. Oh, man, I, I'm sorry, man. It's like I'm looking at it. It's like, oh, this looks like a roller skate. What is this, man? But, it, listen, he, Jackie Stewart can drive whatever he wants because he was the greatest. But my question is, F1, the rise here in the U.S., what do you attribute to that? I think, you know, as we discussed earlier, I think it's it's a combination of a lot of factors. Um, the sport has always been awesome. I just don't think it's had a permanent home. If you look back in Formula One, while it was pretty popular here in the 70s and to say the early 80s, what did it have? Ten different venues it went to. Mm-hmm. And then you had, after Tiregate at Indianapolis, Formula One left America, and it left America with a bad taste in the U.S. market's mouth because of of the race. So I think that really damaged Formula One in North America. So depressing. Uh, time goes by, people for yeah, people forgive, people forget. 
Um, and, you, you know, when Austin came back, that created a lot of excitement. Formula One was in a different place, and it's just gone from strength to strength since then. By the way, the tires, you know, in in so many different series, the tires are key and they're supplied by only one or two companies. Wouldn't it be cool if you could, if each team could supply its own tires and work with its own, um, you know, manufacturer? I mean, would that be bad for some reason? I Am I missing it, something? Well, it, it, I mean, it would definitely be cool, but I think it would be economical because then you get into uh, tire wars and then you need uh, a lot of tire manufacturers that are prepared to get into to tire wars. And I think it's something that's not uh, very visible to, to the race fan. Uh, and so I think it's it's been a while now since we used to have an IndyCar we used to have, of course, in Formula One, and I, I think that's probably a thing of the past from a controlling cost point of view. I guess I, I just think about it from, in terms of MotoGP, um, tire management is so important. I guess that's a fun part for the uh, for the viewer to also kind of play around in. But um, in terms of Formula One, because Michael brought up um, the, the race in Monaco, and, and you're the CEO of McLaren Racing, I think it would will be so interesting to see if Audi or Porsche gets into it. I know you probably can't give us any details on negotiations, but as a fan, won't it be amazing to have a mark like Porsche involved in Formula One? 100%. I think uh, I think Porsche, the, the rumor on the street is they've done a deal with Red Bull, and uh, I think Audi is, is looking around. We, we had some uh, early, early chats, but what they would want out of a partnership and what we want out of a partnership aren't uh, are aligned. So at this point, uh, don't don't see um, Audi in our future. But you you, you never know; people's priorities uh, change. But I think to get new manufacturers in the sport, I remember uh, back growing up when Porsche came into the car with the Quaker State and then the Foster's car, I was always so excited to see what's that going to look like. Or when the Alfa Romeo came in with uh, Pat Patrick. So I think it's going to be great for the fans to have more manufacturers involved. And it's, uh, you know, get, gets everyone excited. You know, Zach, I got to say, you know, when I think of race car drivers, I think of, you know, guys from the Carolinas or Tennessee or Indiana. I mean, for me, when I think of a race car driver coming from California, of all places, I think of Cole Trickle in Days of Thunder. So for me, I'm wondering if you could help me better understand (laughs) your background, you know, how you came to love this sport, you know, how you became a race car driver yourself and then, you know, just marketing international. I mean, how'd you get to this place? I have no idea. Well, a lot of hard work and a lot of travel uh, and a lot of support from the family. Uh, you know, I, I my, my father used to take my brother and I to the races in, in uh, L.A. just as a, as a fan and kind of once a year thing. So my first ever race was the 1981 Long Beach Grand Prix, which I remember like it was yesterday. Then he would take us to Riverside for the NASCAR and sports car races. And then we'd go to the drag races in Pomona. So I kind of grew up. Uh, loving cars and, and doing two or three races a year from you know, 81 to 85. And then when I got into high school, uh, still loved cars. I went to high school with uh, a buddy who was, his father was in the racing business. Uh, we went to the Long Beach Grand Prix in 87. Uh, Mario dominated that race from pole. I met Mario, asked him, how do you get started? He said, karting, there happened to be a, a Jim Hall karting ad 
in the race program. I had uh, been on Wheel of Fortune Team Week, which is probably uh, a pretty unique way to get into racing. So sold my winnings there, which were a bunch of watches. I went and bought a go-kart and uh, wanted to pursue the, the Formula One dream and then ultimately didn't have any uh, significant family resources. Uh, so I had to learn how to do sponsorship. Uh, raced for 10 years. Uh, it was clear I wasn't going to kind of make it to the top, but I was pretty good at the sponsor stuff and started a, a company, uh, JMI, really just as, as a means to make a, a, a living and then ended up turning that into the world's largest motorsports agency and sold it and uh, then got the opportunity to either join Formula One or McLaren. And I'm a racer, so I wanted to be in the garage and uh, part of the race. So I joined McLaren and you know, here we are six years in. You're going back to Indianapolis with the man who was a big factor involved with McLaren, Roger Penske. Uh, now he owns the racetrack. <laughs> what uh, What is it like going back there, talking to the man, and I'm sure you guys talk all the time, uh, about McLaren and about their their progress and, and all the history with Roger Penske? Roger's my uh, my business hero. Um, the way he's built his business around his racing, and the way he uses his business to now you know build his racing is 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 awesome. Uh, he surrounds himself with great people. He's a proper racer, uh, so I'm, I feel very privileged to be able to call him a, a friend and a competitor uh, all at, all at the same time. And he, he's great, and I think he very much values the McLaren uh, history. Uh, and, and, you know, he was the right guy to own Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar. Um, you know, he, he's doing it for passion, so you know he's going to want to leave a, a great legacy of uh, behind and grow IndyCar to the next level. And, and that, you know, was a... a a big deciding part of you know when we bought the team was Rogers at the helm, and that gives us a lot of optimism for the future. But by the way, first of all, I love Roger Penske. Also, what a what a great guy. Um, <clears throat> I've known him throughout the years, and he's an incredible interview too. I, you mentioned uh, you know if you can't get to the top, if you don't have money from your parents, you've got to hustle um, really to get to get to the top or to get into the big leagues. And in the past, um, there have been few hustlers, right? It's a lot, or let's say, especially in F1, a lot more people that just have money that are piloting those um, big dollar machines. Do you think that's changing now? I mean, I know there's a huge push for diversity. Um, are there uh, are people like you bringing drivers in who previously wouldn't have been able to have the privilege? Yeah, I, th I think it's always going to be a very expensive sport, and someone needs to pay for it. And and whether that's uh, family, friends, sponsors, racing teams identifying you at a at a younger age, uh, I you know we always are looking for who the best drivers. Um, but but you know it's an expensive sport. Someone needs to write the check. So I think there's always going to be an element. Of that, what I'd what I'd like to see, and I think we're we're getting there, is have the top professional teams hiring 
exclusively the best drivers they can. So while you might need, or you will need resources to come up through the junior formulas, I'd like to see all motorsports be healthy at the highest levels where you no longer require that to be part of your racing. But, you know, there, there's a couple Formula One teams that take paying drivers. I think it's okay they had to pay to get there, but you'd like to think, hey, everyone in Formula One, those are the 20 best drivers in the world or 20 best Formula One drivers in the world. The reality is it's probably the 16 best, and there's maybe four that are questionable on whether they would truly be there if they didn't have sponsorship that the teams needed. If we can get the teams healthier, then they can be less dependent upon driver sponsors. Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren Racing. When they told me you were the guest, my boss has said, okay, keep it professional, do a professional interview. (laughs) I said, okay. They went around the corner, and I shouted, oh, Lordy, yes. Thank you, Zach, man. From one motorhead to another, thank you, sir. My my pleasure. Love love chatting chatting racing, as you guys know. (laughs) Thanks again. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com. Just to talk about the history of McLaren. And like I said, I remember all of these races that they won. I remember Mark Donahue winning the 72 race. Johnny Rutherford winning the 74 race. I remember the 76 win. It's really neat to see McLaren 
and that history at Indianapolis, Matt. Yeah, it is very neat. And of course, um, like you, I tend to get sidetracked into more of the racing stuff and less of the business stuff. <laughs> when we first started out this chat, Damian mentioned that you know Zach has a McLaren Speedtail, and I know he has a Porsche 962, and just some awesome <laughs> cars. But actually, in this conversation, I found the business aspect even more interesting. Yeah. You know, when he told us about um, how he got started um, in LA, and he had to kind of hustle because he didn't have family involved in racing or you know billionaire parents. That he ended up working with Roger as a mentor, and uh, you know, starting his own team instead. The, the, to me, the business aspect of it. Is, is, is so exciting, and I'd really like to see more diversity. I think Lewis Hamilton yep. might be yes. the only black kid who ever raced in Formula One, and there's been a few in NASCAR and a couple in IndyCar, but um, it's for the most part, it's it's just um, been like privileged, uh, rich boys who have been able to do it. So I'd like to see more women. I'd like to see more diverse uh, pilots and mechanics and team owners, and maybe we're headed that direction. I mean, look, I, I'm going to take the other side of that, Matt. I'm not a rich boy either, but I could listen to him talk about his AC Cobra 289 and his <laughs> four-wheel drive, 800-horsepower monster Porsche 959 all day long. I mean, oh, we didn't yes. ask him, and this is my only regret, is he races these classic cars. You know what I mean? He just raced an 89 TWR Jaguar at the Grand Prix of Long Beach in April. So, you know, he's still, he's still got it, man. He's still got the itch. He's still got to scratch it. Okay. That's right. I have to introduce you to this, Matt. It's called the number of the week. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. And here's how it works. There's a number that I'm thinking, that I have researched. Damien knows this because he had to suffer through this the week before. I'm and, not very good at it. <laughs> and whichever two comes closer to the number, you win my admiration. Uh-huh. All right. There's nothing more I could ask for. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Of course, as we mentioned, this Sunday, the Indy 500, Matt, uh, that you know, and, and Damien, you know, that uh, Scott Dixon is on the pole uh, at 234 miles per hour. What I want to know is the first Indianapolis 500. Ray Haroon was the winner in 1911. What was to win on to win? What was the average speed? Wow. That he won the race. Who on? goes first? Damien, you guess first. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't even imagine. Um, Jesus. Um, I don't know, 1911, you're saying uh, 75, 80 miles an hour? Yeah, I think that's... Well, wait, you got to narrow it down now. All right, all right, 75 miles an hour. I think that that sounds pretty close. I know they were pushing a ton back then, but uh, not hitting it. And, of course, an average um, isn't going to be nearly as much as the top speed. I'm going to say 74 miles an hour. (laughs) Price is right. Wow. Now, this is close. This is the closest we've ever had on this show. The average speed is 74.6 miles an hour. Round up. Which means if you round it up, Damien won. Isn't well, Damien said Price is Right rules. I thought so close is without going over, right? Well, technically, yeah, you you went over. (laughs) But Richard Dawson would agree with me. One-tenth, which really talking one-tenth 
That's how close this was because if you, 74 and 75, it was 74.5, I'd have to give you both of it. Yeah. But, wow, that's that's the closest Congratulations, Damian. You get no, Michael no, Barr's admiration you, you, this you, week. Congratulations to you. you ha- yes, and we both have Michael's admiration. <laughs> that's the most important thing. I love you people. Uh, that wraps up this edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Our thanks to our special guest host this week, Damian Sassauer and Matt Miller. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio, around the world. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.